Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. All right, we are back with another episode of The Stacks. It's Monday today, which means it's The Short Stacks, our shorter conversations with authors about their process and their books. Today, I'm joined by Damon Young, and we're going to talk about his new book, What Doesn't Kill You Makes You Blacker. I heard from some of you who've been listening to The Stacks via Android, and you may have noticed that the show is no longer available on some of your favorite streaming sites like Stitcher. But don't worry, you can still get the show at places like Spotify, the Podcast One app, Overcast, and more. So just do a little Googling, see what you find, but I promise we're still out there. You can still hear The Stacks. If you want more of The Stacks, head over to patreon.com slash The Stacks. Be a part of our virtual book club, get the inside scoop on the show, and more. To join The Stacks pack, go to patreon.com slash The Stacks. We have a segment on The Stacks where you can get book recommendations designed just for you from me and our guests. It's called Ask The Stacks, and it's great fun. All you have to do is email us at askingthestacks at gmail.com with your name, what you're looking for in your next read, and maybe a few things that you like or don't like in a book. Then you tune in. So send us your email at askingthestacks at gmail.com. If you like what you hear, please take a moment to rate and review this show wherever you listen to your podcasts, especially if you're listening to us through Apple Podcasts. All right. Our guest today is Damon Young. Damon is an author, the co-founder of Very Smart Brothers, a senior editor at The Root, and a columnist at GQ. Today, we talk about his new book, What Doesn't Kill You Makes You Blacker, a memoir and essays. Everything we talk about can be found today in the show notes. And have no fear, no spoilers. All right. Let's talk to Damon. All right, Damon, go ahead in about 30 seconds or less. Tell us a little bit about your book. Okay. The book, uh, What Doesn't Kill You Makes You Blacker, is uh, a dive into some of the angst, absurdities, and just um, anxieties of existing while black. Ooh, that was like seven seconds. That was really good. You know what? I, I have it down to a science. I've been, I've been asked. This isn't my first rodeo. So oh, this I, isn't um, the first podcast you've yeah, ever been on? I have, um, <laughs> you know, I have my elevator, my elevator speech down. Okay. Well, we'll dive in a little bit deeper, but we won't spoil anything. Not that you can really spoil a memoir. Mm-hmm. But let me ask you this. So your book is called What Doesn't Kill You Makes You Blacker, and it's a memoir in essays, which is very cool. I really like that. But here's a question. How did you decide to do that instead of just going straight essays or straight memoir? 
The idea actually came from my agent, Tanya okay. McKinnon, who, um, when we, when we are, were connected to each other, um, by a mutual Facebook friend, you know, she asked me if I had any ideas for a book and I did. And my, my original idea was to have a book that would be very similar in structure and, and tone and content to very smart brothers to my, to my blog where, you know, if you read VSB where, you know, I'm, I'm known for these really quick, aggressive, punchy, snarky, um, voicey blogs about pop culture, race, politics, being a dad, being a husband, you know, whatever, food, chicken wings. And, <laughs> and so the plan was for the, the bulk to kind of extend on that to like, okay, this is a chapter about the rules of spades. This is a chapter about white privilege. Mm-hmm. And so, and instead of writing, you know, I usually write like six to 600 to a thousand words of VSB. These would be like 3000 to 5000 word, okay. you know, chapters where I dive in and I, you know, maybe I interview people and I do some, even a little bit of research and I do no research. <laughs> um, and so that was the idea. That was the original idea. And, um, she was like, you know, that, um, that's a good idea, but I think I have something better. I think you should write a memoir and have tell a story with some connectivity, with a narrative um, that that people can relate to, that people will be able to feel. And you can insert those cultural observations and that humor and and and, and those critiques or whatever in the memoir. And I, it was I knew it was the right idea, but I'm like really stubborn, <laughs> so I um it took me about a week to agree, even though I. Immediately, I was like, "Holy shit, that's 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 a much better idea than that idea I had." But it took me a week to actually admit it, and so yeah, that's why we decided to do that. And did it free you up at all in your writing? Like, since it's a little bit different than what you do, did you find new stuff? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, and this um, it's much more vulnerable, much more transparent than than the um things I, I tend to write about on the internet. Uh, much much more personal. Um, and I, I actually surprised myself with some of the things, some of the places I went, and some of the some of the topics I touched on. And these are, again, the sort of the sort of like vulnerabilities and and, and self consciousnesses that that when I'm writing on the internet, I just don't really um, cover because right. I don't have the space to, and I don't really have the need to. Right, that makes sense. I feel like so in the beginning of your book, you kind of mention those the the insecurities or the vulnerability or kind of being nervous about this book existing in the world. And I guess I wanted to know, like, how did you approach talking to the people in your life that you were going to talk about in the book? And when the book came out, like, did you give them a copy or were you just like, Hey, you're in the book or how do you navigate? (laughs) Like, obviously, you know, your dad or your wife, I'm sure they've read it, but you know, you talk about your basketball friends on Thursdays mm-hmm. and like you talk about the PhDs and you talk about these people in your life and some in some very complimentary and then also some kind of like, ooh, I wonder if that was me, how I would feel about that being said. <laughs> so how did you kind of navigate that? Well, with uh, with the people that um, that I talk about and, and that I'm still connected to, I did um, I did let them see it okay. before it went to before I published. Um, some actually like, uh, Tracy, who I write about in the, um, I think the third chapter of Bomb Ass Poetry, um, we're still Facebook friends. Okay. So I let her see the chapter. Um, Jessica, who, um, was an ex-girlfriend, mm-hmm. um, one of the PhDs, 
we're still friends okay. too. And so I let her see um, the chapter that, that really, you know, talks about that, that relationship that we had and also had some really like silly uh, sex stuff <laughs> in it. And she was fine with it. Um, and the, the biggest, the biggest, um, I won't say problem, but like biggest anxiety mm-hmm. was, uh, my dad and my wife, mm-hmm. um, particularly my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know, I, I, I feel like my, you know, the book is very, it, it, it's very lauding of him. It shows his humanity. It, you know, it's, yeah. I, I feel like it's a, I, I believe that it, um, that accurately tells a story of him and, in the proper light, but there are some unflattering things. Mm-hmm. And it, and, and it's also, you know, I talk about my mom's death and that's still a very, very difficult subject for my dad. Yeah. Um, and so that was, was the most difficult, but he, was just like, you know, just tell your truth. Mm. Um, write, write the truth, tell your story. I support you. I love you. So, so that was, um, that was a, um, definitely like a load off my shoulders hearing that from him. Yeah. How about the book actually being in the world? Do you feel like people look at you different or like, are you feeling kind of weirdly vulnerable? Like this piece of me now exists without anything? I, so it's, it's funny. Like I feel it like in theory. Like I, I, because yeah, it's out there now, this right. book with, with, with these things in it that are some of, some of the things I haven't, I didn't admit to like my wife, my closest friends, my dad, and now there's going to be fucking book clubs. Right. Like total strangers. It. Yeah. Total strangers are going to know, <laughs> you know, these things that, that I didn't tell anyone that, that is pretty, just thinking about that. It's, it's pretty, um, I don't know. It's pretty harrowing, right. <laughs> actually. But, but when I talk to people about the book, I don't feel that anxiety. Hmm. Like when people who have read the book, when I talk, when I actually talk to them about it, I don't feel the. I guess I don't feel how I expected to feel. Interesting. Um, so I, I'm more anxious thinking about the big picture. But when I okay. actually interact with people who have who have read it, um, that that anxiety about that isn't there. Interesting. So one of the things that I thought was really smart about your book, the way that you approached kind of telling your story, you say very early on that you're not so much talking about the what, but you're talking about the why. Mm -hmm. So like these things that have happened to you, and you're talking about a lot of really big, complex societal issues like education and how we approach that and, you know, homosexuality and homophobia and Mm -hmm. just like a lot of things that are complex and have a lot of moving pieces to mm-hmm. it. And I just really appreciated you coming from the why, because mm-hmm. I feel like so much memoir can be the what, like mm-hmm. explaining, then I walked to the store, then I opened the door. Then, like, And it's like, well, can you get to the part where you killed the mm-hmm. person? Because I kind of like, <laughs> that's what I'm interested in. And I want to know why you did it, yeah. you know? And so I felt like what happened is that you were able to like distill down much bigger things in a personal way mm-hmm. because you were focused so intently on your own why was that process easy to come to or did did that help you to talk about the bigger things that maybe are scary um well the why is the, the why was a central question right um you know when when I when I started um 
even before I, I started writing the book, it, 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 that why has always existed. And the what, you know, I, I'm not Michelle Obama. Like people don't care <laughs> about like what, like oh, you this is the year you graduated from high school, and this is right. For like no one cares about my biography. Right. Like right. and so and so focusing on a what was not like ever a consideration because I know no one gives a shit about <laughs> about the what's in my life. Um, you know, a few people maybe like seven people. Um, and so those whys, um, and those are the things that even if everyone has different what's. And everyone does. Right. That's different what's. The whys, like the getting all the way down to like the meat, the bone, the gristle of like, okay, this is this is why this is happening. This is why I thought that. This is why I decided to do this thing. That's where the um that's where that connectivity is. Mm-hmm. And where people are able to to feel and and like sit with mm. this the um the thing that you that you wrote. Um and so the why was cathartic because as I was writing the book, I was also discovering things. And it it also, you know, you know, if you want to extrapolate, just had a, a greater purpose because again, that's how people are able to connect. Right. And when people are connect, then that's, you know, that makes the book um I don't know, better. Yeah. I think. Yeah, no, totally. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last Three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. 
Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. So you write an apology for a article that you'd written in 2012 that became like a whole, you know, internet mm-hmm. phenomenon. And that part of the, I mean, I thought that part of the book was fantastic. I was very wrapped in that chapter. But my question is more so, what do you think about the public apology? And what what do you think makes a good one? Um, and so that chapter was the hardest one for me to write. Interesting. Because I, I wanted to make sure I got it right. Mm-hmm. Because it's such a delicate sensitive and important yeah. topic. I'm a straight man writing about that. And also I fucked up. Right. And so how do I acknowledge this fuck up, put it in the right context. And also, I don't know, just, just, just use the right language mm-hmm. and, and also be as transparent and as honest as I could possibly be about, I guess the transition from, from you know, two thousand from early two thousand twelve to what two thousand nineteen, right? And so the public apology, um, and in that piece, um, so just for context, um, in two thousand twelve, I wrote a really terrible, awful, just oh man, I, I can't even think of more words to describe how bad <laughs> it was. Um, piece about uh, that was response to a woman's um, um, column or essay about sexual assault. And it was like very victim blamey. It was just it was constructed badly. It premise was terrible. Everything about it was just bad, 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 bad. And so immediately I get, you know, people read it and like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is terrible. What? What? What do you? <laughs> this is like the worst thing I've ever read on this. Like, what? What's wrong with you? And and not just terrible. This is hurtful. This right. is like causing. This is hurtful in a, in a violent way. Right. Like in a whip, like people come to the site expecting to read like these really tongue in cheek takes on whatever. And you read this thing and it's just, you know, it, it, it was an act of violence. Right. So my response, my initial response to the response was incredulousness. Mm. Because I then believe that, you know what, my point was valid, but I just didn't express it the right way. Right. Or maybe people didn't, you know, were too sensitive or or perhaps like, you know, my history or, you know, what I've done up to that point should, you know, give me some leeway. Right. And and so the chapter, you know, really just digs into like what was in my head mm-hmm. then um, and, and the way of thinking and also talks about just this public apology, which you see very often when a celebrity or someone else who's, who's in the news does something or says something terrible and then apologizes and apology is always bad. Oh, it's always, always bad. It's always bad. I'm and the, shocked. Yeah. And the, and the reason, well, at least this is my theory for the reason why these apologies are always bad is because they're not sorry yet. That makes sense. Um, cause if you did this fucked up thing on a Monday mm-hmm. and you're apologizing on a Tuesday, Mm-hmm. Whatever compelled you to do that fucked up thing on Monday, that's still inside of you. Now right. you just know that you you hurt people. 
Right. And now you know that you're supposed to apologize. Right. But there might still be something in you that believes that you were right. Right. And that, that you're that just you were, apologizing for the people. Yeah. Which is why people say, I'm sorry if, if I offended I'm you. Sorry if I offended. And, I'm sorry and, if I offended is honestly just, that's the worst. Don't <laughs> apologize. It's like you did offend and you know it. Goodbye. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so what, what, what needs to happen, you know, when, when, a, when a person does a thing like that, you know, that, that just a terrible thing that, that hurts people is you need to go away. Mm. You need to say, I fucked up. You need to listen to people. You need to be completely contrite mm-hmm. and you need to interrogate your intent, your, 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 your thoughts, your, your actions, you know, your relationships mm-hmm. to figure out, okay, what was inside of me that caused me to do this? Right. And, and, you know, ultimately you just want to get to a place where you don't want to cause harm. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's what happened with me where it's like, I just, I don't want to be a person. I don't want to have a platform that causes people, particularly black women harm. Right. And so whatever I need to do to get there, I'm willing to do it because I, I just, I I don't want to be this sort of person. I don't want to be thought of as this sort of person. I don't want to have this sort of effect on people. I don't want to hurt people. So you just, again, if you're sincere, Mm -hmm. you do whatever you need to do to get to that point. Yeah. And yeah, and, and, and part of that realization, you know, and, and, and getting there was, was realizing, I guess the fallacy of the good dude. Sure. Hmm. Um, which again, I talk about a bit in that chapter where, um, to be a good dude, you know, and I'm saying this with quotes, yeah. quotations, good dude. It means that you keep yourself safe. Right. That you have this inexhaustible alibi where, Oh, Damon would never do this terrible, awful thing because he's he's good. Right. He's a good guy. Right. And but being good is just like it's inert. Like you're right. not you're just there. You're not doing anything, you know, and and what I don't know better. What's better than being good is being worthy. Sure. And and being worthy of the friendships, worthy of support, worthy of the love, worthy of the fandom. Mm hmm. And and to be worthy, you have to work at that. Right. Right. It's not something that just happens. So we talked a little bit about the what. We talked about the why. And I do want to talk about the how, like how a book comes together, how you wrote the book. So I guess let's start there. Where did you do your writing and how did you make time for it? Because you have a plethora of other places <laughs> that you write. So how did you make it happen? All right. So um, I have a a great wife mm-hmm. who, who, you know, relationships have ebb and pl- have ebbs and flows. Right. And, you know, with, after I signed the book deal, household management duties, um, which were split, I won't say evenly. Right. But, you know, they were split more evenly. Okay. But, um, she actually took up more to slack. Got it. And, and that allowed me to like, just really focus on getting the book done, getting my work done. And so what my days would look like is that I would do VSB stuff or GQ stuff or whatever internet stuff I was mm-hmm. doing from, let's say, like 10, 10 a.m. to about 5 p.m. Okay. And then, you know, I go play basketball. I, you know, 
say hi <laughs> to my wife and kids. Like, hello, I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm just wanted to let you know I'm still here. Um, and do whatever. And then from nine or 10 o'clock to about two or three in the morning, wow. I was doing book stuff. Wow. So you can write all hours of the day. Yeah. And so I was, um, yeah, that was like a 12, 13, 14 hour day. And that <laughs> was for the whole first draft of the book. That was, that was me. So that was like a six month, six month process every weekday. <laughs> I was doing that. And um, and for the bulk stuff, I actually would go to the Ace Hotel in Pittsburgh. Okay. And, you know, and it was great because they never closed. So you could just mm. sit there and you could also order food. So I would sit, I would eat, I would write, all this stuff happening. But it was white noise mm-hmm. to me. And, um, and, yeah, so I know that some people, like, go on leaves or – yeah. You know, some sort of retreat or, or whatever when they when they write their books. But I um yeah, I didn't do that. You I had guess. a self made writing fellowship at the Ace Hotel. Yeah. <laughs> um that's a perfect segue to my absolute favorite question, which is do you have any favorite writing snacks or beverages? Oh, writing beverage would either be a godfather. What's that? That is scotch and amaretto. Okay. Or um honey jack and ginger ale. Okay. So you can drink Alcohol and write. Yeah. Got yeah, it. Yeah. Okay. And, and drink, and you know, I'm, I am a pretty severe introvert. Okay. Even when writing sometimes. Okay. And so I don't drink to get drunk, but right. sometimes it just, it loosens me up. A little and, lubricant. And, and, and yeah. And it releases <laughs> some, some inhibitions. Um, and so with the Godfather, I would eat a burger. I would be like the cliche. <laughs> <laughs> writer eating a steak yeah. and drinking <laughs> drinking a whiskey or right while while writing you know my memoir oh my gosh that's at, amazing. at the bar yes. yeah i was i was such a cliche that's beautiful everyone always tells me coffee so this is way better i don't drink coffee i don't drink coffee I, i'm not a coffee drinker do you drink any warm beverage morning beverage no 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 tea i, I i'll drink a tea every once in a while but there's no. no warm beverage that's like a part of our regular routine okay got it got it so while you're writing and working, what are you consuming as far as other books, other writing, maybe movies, music? Like what sort of stuff is fueling your life at this time, um, if you remember? I, I'm reading a lot of internet stuff. Okay. You know, because that's just a function of not just my job, but just just what I enjoy doing. Okay. You know, reading articles at, you know um, – Slate and The Atlantic and The New Yorker and, you know, and also The Root and Jezebel did spin. So that, you know, was was a big source of inspiration. I honestly and, I, and I'm going to I kick myself for not doing this, mm-hmm. but um, I didn't read any books while I was writing mine. All right. Um, and I noted I, I noted that's a thing that some writers do. Mm-hmm. And it's a bad thing mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because, you know, you're so you, you do it because you don't want someone else's words to somehow worm their way inside of your head right. and have, and, and like have some sort of impact on the things that you write. Mm-hmm. But that's, it's impossible to prevent that from happening because right. you're consuming culture anyway. It's not like you're just going to be the Unabomber and right. just, you know, just, <laughs> in some, you know, in some cabin right. in the middle of the, in the middle of the woods. I mean, you're still consuming things. You're still talking to people. So yeah, there, there are things that happen that you witness, that you consume, that are going to have an effect on on your work, and um, and so the the idea, you know, well, I don't write any books, I write my own. It's a it's a bad idea. 
Like it, it's a thing. I, it's a thing I definitely did, but it's definitely not a thing to do. Well, like on your when next I write the next book, book I'm, yeah. not, I'm, I'm going to continue to read other books while I'm writing my book. And what, well, what sort of stuff, what books do you read or do you like, or like, what are some books that you've read not during that time, but like recently that you've been like, yo, that was dope. Or like, I highly well, recommend, or um, maybe like a good, if someone liked your book, what are other things maybe in that vein that you would say they might like? Okay. So those are two separate They're questions. They're two different <laughs> questions, but I put them together. Uh, well, if you, <laughs> if you like my book, um, I think you would love like Samantha Irby's, um, you know, we're never meeting in, in real life or mm-hmm. meaty, um, with you know similar source of humor, okay, um, and humor about sometimes very heavy and uncomfortable and even gross, right? Um, topics, okay. Um, so there's there's a lot of that. Um, now as far as books that I've read recently that um that I've really enjoyed, I mean, KSA's um heavy, which is an amazing book, amazing. Um, so there's that. Um. I'm, there's a book that I'm in, which is kind of cheating. Um, <laughs> it was edited by Kiva Solomon and Kiara Rankin. Um, it's um, How to Fight Waste Supremacy. Okay. Oh yeah, say. that is it. it. Just came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's that's it has it. That, that book has so much. It's it's basically a, a almanac. Yeah, I haven't you know, read it yet. There's so but many I people that have contributed. Like I have, I've made it like halfway through, mm. and it's it's one of those books that is like so rich because there's so much, so much in it, and so many different types of content. Right. Too that are in it. Um so that was a that was fun to write. You know, that portion it was fun to read. I'm I'm working my way through American Spy, um okay. a Lauren uh, Wilkerson, which is you know, which is a great book. Um the Feces book, I'm working my way through that. Mm. Um so um I haven't read Morgan, Morgan Apple's book, who I was just on a podcast with. Or just on the panel with, but I'm going to when I get back home. Yeah, that just came out too. Yeah. What is it? The the magical Negro, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um and so so yeah, I it, it's funny because again, I went through the whole process of writing without reading. Mm-hmm. So I have all these books right. at home that, you know, were sent to me by like publishers and that I bought right. myself. And so I'm like looking forward to getting back home and like actually not being a dickhead anymore and right. reading and not having being so focused on like the, what you're writing. Yeah. That. So I guess this is kind of a weird question, but I am interested in, it's not weird. It's actually, I think it's a great question. I like weird questions. I think it's great. So you're a black American man. You wrote a book called what doesn't kill you makes you blacker. Uh-huh. And then you shop the book around and it ends up, you know, at echo, which is a major publisher like part of it's part of harper collins mm-hmm. and i know that your editor is a white person so like how do you navigate that relationship like telling your story through the lens of someone who you're working with who has a totally different thing and knowing that it's being marketed by like this huge you know company that's pretty white i mean publishing is and that's not a knock on harper necessarily at all it's just more like how do you navigate telling this story through those lenses. Yeah, that's um that that's a tough one. I mean, in you know, on, on the panel I was on um yesterday at the at the LA Times Festival, we spoke on that about, you know, we each of us, you know, on the panel is Morgan Parker, Safisa, it's myself and Rebecca Carroll, who you know is also writing a memoir. You know, black people, black Americans trying to write this work that centers black people that is very intentionally black mm-hmm. and transparent and honest and vulnerable and, 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 you know, 
and very intentional about the language and, and the characters and whatever, but doing it while, you know, in a predominantly white industry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah, I have a white editor and she was great. She is great. Um, I have a white publishing company. Mm-hmm. Um, and so are you really subverting the white gaze? Right. If the gatekeepers are still white. And, and I think the answer to that question is that your work needs to have integrity. Mm-hmm. And also I, I think that as, as, as a professional, you know, when your work is being compromised, right. You know, when an editor maybe just doesn't have the right sensibility and you just don't care because you want to get the book out there. Right. And so you have to, you have to be able to look yourself in the mirror. Right. And say that, you know what, I I know that my book exists in this predominantly white world, but this book is still as true to me as it can possibly be. Right. Um, and that's that could be a difficult thing to do because, you know, how do you know? How how, how do you know that that the white gaze hasn't had some sort of influence subconsciously on right. on what you decided to write about and and maybe the, the way you constructed your chapters and maybe language you used or language you didn't use. Um, and but, are those conversations that you have, like your editor comes to you and they say, you know, Damon, I think that you should, this is not, this doesn't work. And then you say, oh, maybe you're missing this reference because it definitely works kind of thing. Like, is, are those conversations that are had? Well, you know, with, with my editor, the conversations weren't necessarily about references. Uh-huh. They were more about construction. Okay. Um, and, and actually my editor, both my editor and my agent, my agent was really good with this too. Cause I, I bounced stuff off of her all the time, wanted me to go deeper okay. and, 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 and farther. So, so I, I had an editor, have an editor who pushed me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, okay, you made this reference, but what about you? Okay. You know, what about why again, dig into those whys. Mm-hmm. And the references are – those are the things that, that give the bulk some color, I believe, and give it – I don't know, that distinguish it and give it like a, a, a certain level of authentic, authenticity. Right. Um, but the most important stuff is, the, is that digging into the, the meats, the meat of your why, the gristle of the why, and um, my editor did that. So okay. even if she didn't – immediately know all the references that right. I would make or all the language or the jokes or whatever. She trusted me and I trusted her. That's great. That's great. Um, okay. So I basically have just, I think two more questions. One of which is your book has the best blurbs, the most exciting people to me blurbed <laughs> your book. And I basically want to know how you got them. If you got them or if some of it comes from your publisher and also can you just briefly talk about the anti-racist book festival because Ibram Kendi is my idol. So those are two unrelated, but related questions because he blurbed you. And I basically like, I flipped your book over when it came and I was like, Oh my God, I'm dead. I love all these people. Um, so I'm doing a, I did a podcast with KSA Lehman mm-hmm. and, um, it hasn't aired yet. It's going to air. Um, it was for, um, WNYC's death, uh, sex and money. And, it was about 30, 40 minutes long. We just had just a conversation. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I revealed to him was that um, when I approached him, and this was before the book, this was, he blurred my proposal too. Oh, okay. And 
when I approached him, I felt like I was almost asking someone to the prom. Like I was so nervous. Mm -hmm. I wasn't, and I, we had never at that point, and this is going back to 2016, we had never like interacted. So I didn't even know if he knew who I was. So I I come and I'm like, yeah, you know, um, name is Damon Young. And you know, if you don't have a date to the the prom, I, I, I would hope you would come with me. And, and he re- and I told him that story, and he was like, "Dog, man, I've I've been a, I was a fan of you know I've been a fan of yours, man, I'm, you know." And so I had this trepidation about reaching out to KSA, reaching out to uh, Dr. Kendi, reaching out to Brittany, Rebecca Traster. I mean, even though you know, yes, I, I'm sure these people are familiar with my work, but still, still, still reaching out to people and asking them to to write these that's hard. Like yeah. that, that, that to me was the, is still the hardest part of the book process mm. is having to reach out to people and, and ask them to do you favors. Right. And if, and again, if they, if they enjoy the book, then, then, you know, of course, yeah. Oh yeah, I'll do it. Mm. Um, but doing that and just hitting people up on like Instagram and Twitter and, and all of that, that, um, oh my God, like I, I I had more anxiety about doing that hmm. than writing about masturbation. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, you got amazing blurbs, so you paid off. Um, so then my last one question for you is, who's the coolest person so far that you've heard from who's expressed interest in your book or who like liked your book and was like, yo, I read your shit and that was so great. Like, have you had any? Coolest person? Um, uh, my dad. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, my my dad. Uh, you know who who really enjoyed it. Um, you know, as far as like fa- people that are like known. Mm-hmm. Um, let me think. Um, I've had the blurbs. Okay. And there were other blurbs that other people who gave the book laws that just you know either didn't turn the blurbs in in time or right. just didn't make the cover list. Samantha Irby is another one. I I have had really good reviews and that you know has that was a anxiety of mine mm. because not only is this book this like super vulnerable and transparent thing but it's also like okay I'm I'm writing a book now it's a right. thing to be judged and right. people are going to read this and and judge it and critique it and like critique me mhm and and so the fact that um like NPR, Washington Post, um, you know, all the like the book list, Publishers Weekly, all of that, you know, gave it like really, really great reviews that um that's not supposed to mean I mean, you say that that's not supposed to matter. Right. You're supposed to say that like, you know, you're supposed to just write your book and not give a fuck about how like the right. whatever but- feels about it. But I I did care. Good. I do care. Um, that was an anxiety, and that's been, you know, pretty, um, I guess, alleviated that's, at this point. That's amazing. I lied and said that I had one last one, but I actually have one last one. Okay. Did you have any other titles for the book? Oh, yes, definitely. And do, can you tell us any of them? The original <laughs> title was actually Nigga Neurosis. Okay. Um, which, as I explained in the book, um, is, is a term to encapsulate the state of being where you're questioning whether a thing happened to you, good or bad. Right. Um, because you were black, you know, did I get the scholarship because I'm black? Did I not get the scholarship because I'm black? Is this um, person decided to sit next to me on the plane because mm. I'm black, or are they going to the back? 
you could keep going right. on, right, on right, and right. on with it. And and so that was the original title of the book. The um the proposal was was sold with that title. Um, my agent loved it. My editor loved it. People at HarperCollins loved it. And then uh, my editor talked to her people at like Barnes and Noble and Amazon, mm. who were like, "Yeah, we we love Damon. Uh, <laughs> Can't wait for his book." But... but yeah, I don't know if we could have. Um, I don't know if we we could carry a book with that title, but I don't know if we could have nigga on seventy two point font in the front of our stores. Um, so maybe maybe they have the subtle art of not giving a fuck. They do have the subtle order not giving a fuck, but I don't like asterisks. Okay. So I wasn't going to asterisk. But as, I mean, my point being that that is asterisk is the most useless. Thing yeah, I know. Ever, I know. You know. I know. Um, and the thing is, I'm I'm glad for that because this title is better. It is. You know, it, I love it so much that I end up putting it on my arm. Mm. <laughs> it's a tattoo. I actually thought I thought of the title while I was um I was on a plane going to Essence Fest in, in July. And working on um, some of the dialogue in one of the chapters, and and what doesn't kill you makes you blacker just came to me. And then as soon as I got off the plane, I immediately googled it mm-hmm. just to you know because I assumed that someone else someone else would yeah. have used that for like a Twitter handle or like some bullshit player or, or something. <laughs> right, right, right. And then I saw like, oh, this no one has used this. So called my agent, called my editor. We have a title now. Amazing. I love that. Well. This is the end of our conversation, unless you have anything you want to add or say. Um, I want to thank you for, uh. for inviting me on the show and also giving me a salad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I fed <laughs> him. And he gave me a salad. <laughs> Some very tasty Trader Joe's uh, crouton. So yes. I, I Shout do appreciate that. Shout out to Trader that. Joe's. Yeah. Uh, well, you're welcome. And thank you for coming on the show. I'm so happy you're here. And everybody at home, make sure you go get yourself a copy of What Doesn't Kill You Makes You Blacker by Damon Young. You can get it on IndieBound, Amazon, at your local bookstore, wherever you get your books. Check it out. And you narrate the audiobook. I do. So you could listen to Damon even more. Um, all right, y'all. Thank you so much. Damon, thank you. And we will see you guys in the snacks. Right, that does it for us today on the short stacks. Thank you guys so much for listening, and thank you to Damon Young for coming on the show today. Get your copy of What Doesn't Kill You Makes You Blacker wherever you get your books. A special thank you to the folks over at Echo Books for our copy. Remember, we're back on Wednesday for the Stacks Book Club with Kelty Knight to discuss Tiny Beautiful Things by Cheryl Strayed. To help support the stacks and earn awesome perks, go to patreon.com slash the stacks. Make sure you're subscribed to this show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, take a moment to rate and review the show. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite, and our theme music is from Tagirajis. This episode of The Short Stacks was created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. Tracy Thomas.